Is it normal yet? And how could you prove that it is? As I try to figure this out, two factors really stand out. The first is the medical reality. Are hospitals overrun? And are death rates spiking? If the answer is yes to any of these questions, it's surely not normal. And the second factor is government regulation or intervention. Are new laws barring you from your social, work, or family life? Again, if the answer is yes, then it's definitely not normal. It's been more than two years since this pandemic first started, and we've come a long way. And so at this point, with masks fading largely across the country and case rates going down after the Omicron surge, I thought it best to investigate whether we are, in fact, normal again. To try to answer this impossible question, I turned to Dr. Monica Gandhi. She's a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. She also leads a department of infectious diseases there. So Dr. Gandhi, welcome back to the show. And let's start by looking at our current medical reality, this first factor. Has COVID-19 become just another respiratory virus at this point? In other words, is COVID-19 no longer novel, but somewhat normal? Yes, actually, it could never be normal until we got to having the medical tools to control the pandemic. And I absolutely think that we do at this point in 2022, which isn't just vaccines, even though the vaccines work extremely well. What we really needed was therapeutics as well. And if with a combination of these highly effective vaccines, and the second is having now an oral pill, not just the monoclonal antibodies, which we do have, but they aren't as in wide supply, they're hard to give, but we have this oral five-day medication, which is part of the president's new plan to test and treat people with this five-day medication called Paxlovid that prevents hospitalizations and deaths by 90%, which is pretty much the same as a vaccine does, but what this medication is for is for unvaccinated individuals who have chosen not to get vaccinated or those who are vulnerable, immunocompromised, and we can treat with that. And those two tools are in place now. And that's why I feel that we can finally answer this question, that we have the tools to get to be there. So from this medical perspective, cases have gone down and we're not seeing these packed hospitals we saw during the Omicron surge that kind of surprised us. We are now in a place where our medical infrastructure is solid and we have these two tools that can fight against future ones. Exactly right. Like, for example, the HHS has a tool online that tells you your hospital capacity in every region. And at every point, we're now at metrics where we have fewer than 10 over 100,000 people in the hospital for COVID as a very important hospitalization metric. And so, yes, our hospitalizations predictably after every surge, they do come down. But importantly, what we didn't have over the Omicron surge was the wide availability of the therapeutics. And that is what's changed in March 22 for President Biden to form this new plan that he did on March 1st. Right. And so now let's move on to this kind of second factor of normalcy of government intervention and government rules. Now we've seen governors across the country, both Democratic and Republican, the president himself, and even the CDC really shift big time on their stance on COVID, namely on masks. So why did this shift change happen? And is it a safe shift? Yeah, it's a great question. So when you say government restrictions on life, the two biggest ones have been recently really vaccine mandates in multiple settings and mask mandates. And so a lot of our capacity limits went away, but really these are the two biggest restrictions that every country is weighing dropping. And in fact, many countries have in Europe and the UK. So what the CDC did 
to kind of catch up with the governors, because to be fair, like you said, the governors of states, and it didn't matter what party they were from, on February 7th almost had a kind of mass exodus from masks. So there was a many Democrat governors that gave a end date, usually mid-February for mass mandates indoors, and then they all went to different dates for schools. So it was really the CDC catching up. But the reason that I think all of this is wise is that I think this is the way I think of non-pharmaceutical interventions. There are pharmaceutical interventions, which are therapeutics and vaccines. We needed to get to this point. What were non-pharmaceutical interventions? They were lockdowns, masks, distancing, capacity limits. Those were all called NPIs. And the entire point of masks or any NPI was to look at our hospital capacity and keep our hospital capacity able to take care of not only patients with COVID, but patients with other medical conditions. And so I never thought that NPIs, especially after we got the vaccines, should be based on case rates. They should be based on hospitalization rates, which is really the shift that the CDC made about a week ago now, actually. It's just been a week. Um, And that shift was that you can drop masks in a region for indoors, and they included schools in this, if you essentially had that metric that we just talked about, having fewer than 10 over 100,000 people in the hospital there for COVID. And then they had some other metrics in there that they just, in their typical fashion, they made it, I think, kind of complicated, but uh, ICU capacity and even case counts in there. But really, the reason case counts don't matter as much is number one, of course, a case doesn't mean like it used to because we have vaccines. So a case could make someone really sick, especially if they were older. And now a case is can be a very mild infection in someone who's been vaccinated. And the second reason is that case counts are super unreliable. We have home testing. We can order them from the government now. And no one's recording those home tests like they do in the UK to the National uh, National Health Service. So based on hospitalizations, it makes sense. And as of March 4th, 90% of the country does not need to mask indoors. Right. You know, when that CDC update to their masking policy changed, I think it went from like 70% was recommended to wear masks to 70% was, you know, not recommended to wear masks. It was kind of an about face. And you're saying it's medically backed and it, it wasn't just politically motivated, but it was just the medical reality. Yes. I mean, I, to be fair, I wish they had done it before because we wrote a piece in Washington Post in April of 2021 saying that all restrictions should be based on hospitalization and vaccination rates now. And they didn't actually include a vaccination rate in there because there's been so much natural immunity through Omicron, but they just made it on hospitalization rates. And it seemed really abrupt, um, I think, to do it this late in the game to make it on hospitalizations. And then that abruptness Um, I think surprised everyone and could look political, but I think it was something that was long overdue. And certainly it was an interesting timing because the State of the Union was for the first State of the Union from President Biden in his administration. It was conducted without masks. And it really, you know, that's what sets the tone for a country. If you see the president and everyone around him unmasked, it's setting the tone for this to happen quickly. And speaking of the president, the White House released a large COVID-19 plan. What does that plan mean for us? Even though it was 96 pages, we can make it super simple. Um, and, and there's really four points to it. And the first one is vaccines. Anyone who hasn't been vaccinated, of course, encouraging them to be vaccinated, getting an early child vaccine, and just having the capability to know if we need new vaccines in the future. The second is really therapeutics. And that's that very innovative, I thought, test to treat program, which reminded me a lot of HIV testing and treating. We try to test someone on HIV and then give them their medications on the same day. And it really is that idea that pharmacists 
can have the Paxlovid in their pharmacies, have tests in their pharmacies. They know about drug-drug interactions. Someone comes in if they've been exposed to COVID and they don't feel well, and they're either immunocompromised or they're unvaccinated, and they can go in there and then the pharmacist can give them their pills right there if they're positive. And that was innovative and it also kind of becomes a you know, spoken hub so that you have lots of places that can give it. So that was innovative. And then the third, and I think this is really important, is pandemic recovery along with everything else. He talked about in that document and out loud, no more business closures, no more school closures. It, it, there is, it's a very important thing to say that any part of pandemic response is recovering from what happened in the pandemic response. And there is a lot to work on, including mental health and everything else that that resulted from closures. And then in that same number three section was wastewater surveillance. So that idea is that we can just, we're not gonna be probably testing asymptomatic people anymore. And we need to know if cases are going up. And the way you do that is looking at wastewater and six days ahead of time, it will tell you if cases are gonna go up. And that way we can say, oh, wait, are we getting into a new variant? Is mm. something happening? Why are the cases going up? And so that allows us to predict danger. And then the fourth is, vaccinating the world. And though I think there's a lot of natural immunity now with Omicron, about three quarters of the world has seen Omicron, I think over 60 year olds worldwide will need one dose at least of the vaccine because I think that it's called hybrid immunity, but I think they're gonna need it. And so I think that was a great idea, but it was looking forward, it was moving forward. It was no predictions of going back to bad times and hard times. And I think that we have the tools to do that. And I think that was smart. Right. And you just mentioned variants, and I can't help to ask, should we be worried about them? And how can we be sure that we won't see another one that will do what Omicron did to us? Yes. I mean, it's true that there's a lot of concern. You know, we've been down this path where it seemed things were getting much better right before Delta variant, especially in this country. It was looking so much better. Um, on the other hand, we really didn't have the vaccination rates that we needed to, to face Delta. So I will say that this is how I think about another variant coming down. Number one is that a lot of us have seen Omicron. Johns Hopkins estimates 75% of Americans have seen Omicron. When you see a virus, you develop immunity across multiple parts, not just the spike protein part that you got from your vaccine. So hopefully if there's another variant, right now Omicron has about 51 mutations, say it has 75 mutations. Well, if you've seen the whole virus, you should have immunity to protect you from another variant that comes down because you'll have immunity to multiple parts of the virus. Then if you haven't seen Omicron, there are new vaccines that are here. And one is called Covaxin, though they haven't approved it yet. It's a whole virus vaccine. And if we have a new variant, instead of modulating and changing the mRNA piece of the spike protein, it just takes too long to test those in trials. I think we just need a whole virus vaccine, a pan SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, just to see the whole thing. And we, there's one that's made, it's made in India, they want to apply here. And so I think that next year we'll have a booster with that vaccine if there's another variant. So I feel really confident that we can beat variants if we can allow ourselves to see the whole virus. And then finally, remember what happened in 1918 with the pandemic. When it went from pandemic to endemic, it didn't actually come back. It didn't. It, it certainly still circulated. We've had it influenza every year. But when it ended and went into that endemic phase, it ended. And hopefully we're not going to, we have enough immunity in our population that even a variant can't get us. Mm. And this is kind of a nomenclature aside, but 
Is it now medically accurate to call it endemic or should we keep saying pandemic? Well, this is the interesting thing is that it's almost a decision that a society makes. What the word endemic means is that it's circulating at a rate and it causes disease at a level that is tolerable, quote, tolerable for the medical system. And so, for example, measles, very low rate of measles, even though we may see some increases with our loss of measles vaccination. And so what do we decide is tolerable? Well, the, the CDC has essentially decided less than 10 over 100,000 in a way is tolerable because that's when they release mass mandates. And so by taking away masks, I think they were declaring without saying it endemicity. And I will tell you that other countries have been super clear about it, like UK, Denmark, Norway, Iceland, Switzerland, France now are saying the word endemic. They're not saying like we're still pandemic. And in fact, they took away mass mandates, vaccine passports, vaccine mandates, asymptomatic testing. They took away all of it except stay home when you're sick. So I don't think this country is on the same page yet enough to say endemic. I think they want to wait a while. And I think that's totally fair because we just got through Omicron. But if it stays low, I think we have to start using the word. Right. And bear with me. I'm going to throw some situations at you and see if it's okay to, you know, not wear a mask. Hot yoga, church, even a mosh pit. Are these things okay to do now? I mean, you know, it feels weird, but if you're, va- okay, number one, hopefully most people are vaccinated and boosted if they're older, at least 50 and older should be boosted in my opinion. And um, yes, I mean, it's to me, it's like as safe as it gets in the sense that you could get a mild infection if they're circulating COVID. But if you're immunosuppressed like my father, you would be more at risk. So I will put my father not in the church right now or in the yoga studio. And I will wait until the cases are super low to allow him to, you know, be running around. But he also wears masks indoors. And he also, he'll be able to get Paxlovid if he gets exposed. So, and he's had all the shots. So everyone's going to have their own risk tolerance, right? Like they're going to say to themselves, I mean, what, what the CDC has done is taking it out of the kind of rules and basically made it individual choice. So I have an elderly father who's going through chemo, who I'm very risk intolerant for. And I have myself who's immunocompetent and vaccinated and boosted. And my two children who are vaccinated, we're happy to go into any of those situations that you just named. So I think it's going to be individual choices now, what you want to avoid and what you don't. But really, the, even the cases are coming down, like the circulation is really much, much lower. Right. So here on the Is It Normally Yet podcast, Dr. Gandhi says it is normal. (laughs) (laughs) It's as normal as we could feel. There's anxiety. And I I will say that that lasting anxiety, which we all have, is going to influence our behavior for a while. But we have the tools. I keep on thinking to myself, we have the medical tools. And if you it's part of being human to be together. And I think that it's been very hard to not be together. So especially for some of the things you named, exercise, worship, these are important things for a society. Right, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the psychological impact. And that might be kind of a third factor in like the medical reality, government reality, but also just the psychic reality of a, of a community, of a country, of the world. Who knows how long that's going to take to become somewhat normal. Yes. I mean, you can see people yelling at each other right now. You can see medical people yelling at each other. You're trying to make it normal too fast. I, it, we're not normal soon enough. Like you, you can see this on, I'm now avoiding Twitter, but you could see this on, on social media that MDs are yelling at each other. And, um, you know, that is, that is, we are not in 2020. We are absolutely in a different place. 
therapeutics for anyone who's vulnerable, vaccines for everyone else. We, low cases, low hospitalizations, I mean, at some point we have to accept that life has some infectious diseases in it, but combat that fear with the need to be together for our mental health. And I, I it surprised me, but maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but primates need to be together. That really got proven to me when I see this increase in depression worldwide of 25%. Mm. That's what the World Health Organization just recently reported and higher in certain groups, which are like young people who have been very restricted. Right. So now that it's, you know, somewhat normal, go see people, I guess. I would encourage people to go see people and I plan to do it myself. And I'm going to go to movies and theater and do everything that um, anything that anyone lets me. <laughs> and I, I feel fine without a mask. And again, right. my father, I'm not going to let unmask, but I will unmask and it's going to be an individual decision. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for being on the show for all these past few weeks. Well, thank you. And um, I hope that if we have another conversation, it's in the context of something that we can absolutely do something about like COVID. You know, <laughs> we can keep on trying to control it. We're going to keep on controlling it. And um, yeah, thank you for having me on. On Tuesday, President Joe Biden addressed the nation during his first State of the Union. He talked about COVID-19 and what role it should play in our lives. COVID-19 no longer need control our lives. I know some are talking about living with COVID-19, but tonight I say that we never will just accept living with COVID-19. We'll continue to combat the virus as we do other diseases. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Luke Garrett. Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Locksbeat. Join me next Monday as the world recovers. Hey, it's Luke here again. If you've liked this show, is it normally a podcast? I've got some exciting news for you. I'll be starting a new daily podcast with WTOP's investigative reporter, Megan Cloherty. It's called the DMV Download. We'll be launching it this spring, and we'll be doing what we've done in this show. But instead of just focusing on the pandemic, we'll zoom out on all the stories that WTOP covers. So every afternoon, we'll drop an episode where we dive deep into the top story of the day. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. That's at DMV Download.